Okay, so let's talk about gas guns and being in the dirt because under perfect conditions, it's really easy to have a product that works good, is reliable, has no problems, and then all of a sudden you take it off of the clean, flat range and you get into the real world. And that's what I love about field matches. And that's where we met. That's where we continue to see each other. And that's where I continue to kind of have issues and see other shooters have issues. But the but but the jump from a bolt gun operating in the dirt to a gas gun operating in the dirt is 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 kind of like um you know going from high school to college i think because there's so many moving parts and you're not only are you an expert at you know doing these events but also keeping them running and you work in the industry and you come um from a community that that has to use rifles in dirty uh, places so you can appreciate the fact that like it doesn't matter how something performs necessarily in a dust-free environment (laughs) what matters is that it continues to run and operate in any environment we take it to now i'm not an expert at shooting rifles in in the tropics you know in in a jungle or in the mud Mm -hmm. so so i'm not gonna i'm not necessarily gonna go there i'm i'm kind of an expert of doing a lot of things in super dry dusty dirty you know low humidity areas and so uh, for at least for this episode, just to kind of keep it focused, um, I want to. I just want to talk to you about cleanliness and the effect of dust and dirt on a system, and how you keep it running because you're able to do that and continue to do that. And you know a heck of a lot more than I do about that stuff. So, so let's just talk about the, the influence of dirt and uh, cleanliness, and and how you attack maintaining your system so that it continues to run. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Let's get into it. So I think you'll find that as you kind of hear me explain my, my thoughts on the matter, it's like boiled down, it boils down to like 75% of it is about how you clean and how clean your system is. Because uh, he said it best, you know, when you roll around in mud with a gas gun or with a bolt gun, they they get dirty and they start to malfunction and you have, you know, some abnormal failures. So on these field matches, I, I've got sort of a nightly routine that I do. And I do this before I get into, you know, the big steak with my friends and, and knocking back a beer or two with, with buddies. You know, I think it's important to do it like right after you get done with that last stage, you know, do it in the tailgate of your truck. It's, it's pretty quick. It's pretty clean. And to be honest with you, there's, there's no reason not to do it. Like it's not going to inhibit your performance. So the first thing I do, if I do nothing else, is I go through my magazines. That's the the chief failure point for any semi-auto firearm, be it a, a rifle or a pistol or whatever. You know, unload them, wipe them out with a rag. Make sure there's um, you know, no sand, gunk, debris, or moisture in those mags, and then reload them. Uh, you might want to wipe down your ammo as well if there's a whole bunch of sand and debris in there. But that will cure most of the issues not all of them obviously but most of the issues that i commonly see in competition are magazine related where a piece of sand gets in there and it slows the bolt carrier down it can't chamber reliably so just clean them out you know clean them out on the, on the tailgate super easy and it's the sort of the biggest failure point for a semi-auto firearm because you're you know think about it you got your mags in your belt you're rolling around doing you know, positional firing on the ground uh just you know inevitably gunk is going to get in there so clean that out but what do you see when like if, if somebody was like man i'm not sure if i had a failure because of 
um, one thing or another? Like, what what do you see as the result of a dirty mag? Normally, I see the you know the end result being a light strike. You know, where where the round just won't fully chamber. That is to say, the bolt carrier is is going to slow down because the you know the round of magazine's dirty. It's it's shedding uh, carrier velocity and it's just not chambering all the way. So the um, kind of the way that the bolt carrier works in an AR-15 is that you know the the carrier needs to be all the way forward, or the cam pin is inhibiting the forward movement or the you know the, the firing pin protrusion, such that you'll get a light strike. So the uh, kinetic energy of the hammer just won't have enough you know horsepower to successfully ignite that primer. So that's what mm-hmm. I see is like you know the guys will. will chamber the next round, it won't go all the way into battery. They won't really notice or see it, and it'll manifest itself as a click. <laughs> and, and then, you know, they'll have to rack that round out, maybe throw a new mag in there that's not dirty, and then start over. But you're rolling around in the dirt, and your magazines are on your – they're on your your hips and your, your chest, so there's really no way to avoid completely getting dirt in your mags, even if you're not shooting because you're laying down, right – Yep. Is there anything you can Correct. do in the field to kind of keep that dust out of there other than just having it yeah. in a, a pouch? Mm, you know, have it in a pouch. No, I, I really haven't, ha- you know, I don't really have any secret ninja tricks to keep dirt out of your mags. It's just kind of a natural byproduct of these field matches. You know, you're, it's going to happen. Um, uh, I guess your, your gun setup, your rifle setup can be a little more, you know, there's some things that you do to, to enable a little better reliability when the inevitable dunk, you know, gunk debris sand gets in there. We can talk about that here in a little bit, but, um, you know, in terms of keeping your mags clean, you know, it's just kind of a, you just got to roll with it. Same thing with, you know, your, your bolt gun mags as well. The same issues will, will exist. Matter of fact, I, I found that bolt gun mags are even less tolerant to dirt and debris than AR 15 or AR 10 magazines just because the mag strength or the mag spring strength is much less they're just a little bit more temperamental so yeah whatever you can do to keep dirt and debris out of your mags you know if, you, if, you, if there's a secret ninja trick uh, i'm unaware of it it's just something you got to deal with i mean but but i think that's important because if if a mag do you notice the difference between steel and p mags yeah a little bit uh steel is just a little bit slicker uh, than a polymer mag, by and large. Um, matter of fact, Lancer's got like a hybrid where it's a polymer body, but steel or, or metal feed lips. And those seem to be actually pretty good, although the mag spring is, is very, very stiff. And on new mags, you know, it might take a few, uh, just a few cycles, you know, uh, load and unload cycles to break them in, so to speak. But otherwise, they, they seem to work pretty well. But yeah, the, the slicker the surface finish, usually the better. That being said, uh, you, even like the P mags in general, I think are the most reliable for me. Gotcha. So you clean the mags because that's the the, the highest likelihood of failure. What, yep. what what comes after the mags? Triggers. Triggers are the second. Um, I, I would say and this is my personal opinion, but I think triggers just because there's a lot of uh, high tolerance. Um, stuff going on you know you got a lot of moving parts and it's an important system and 
you're all the all the gunk and all the debris and you know brass shavings and what have you from from shooting are, are just inevitably going to accumulate in that uh, trigger pocket in your lower receiver. So it's it's like a quick you know two minute process to pull apart your rifle, take one of those cans of air you know that you spray your keyboard out. That's my little ninja secret is to hose that sucker, hose out the the trigger pocket, blow all the primer uh, debris, all the sand and, and stuff out of there, and then go go light on the oil. You know, a couple drops of oil should be all that you need on your trigger. Okay, so I have a question about the canned air because canned air, like blowing things out, is awesome. But I have I've literally seen somebody freeze their lens on their scope and crack it with that. Is there an issue <laughs> yep. with? Is there an issue with with um, with a trigger? Is there something in a trigger that would cause it to freeze and crack or break or expand or con- I guess that would cause it to contract excessively. You've Not never really. seen an that issue doing that? No, I, I've never seen or heard of an issue. By the way, as an aside, a couple of years ago, um, my partner, did that to, his, to his optic, he, you know, it, it's like hyper-pulled, and it, it did crack the front, you know, ocular lens, or the front uh, objective lens, rather, on that uh, really nice optic. <laughs> so that, that is yeah. a thing. But no, nothing on the trigger. You know, metal parts, nah, metal parts are pretty tolerant. Even the, the trigger and hammer springs are, are pretty tolerant of canned air. But you should, you should notice if it's getting super cold, uh, you know, just orient the can in a different direction so that it's not super cold and just, you know, hold that stuff out. Now, how about, um, because shit gets in like the AIs and like the classic trick with that is like taking lighter fluid and completely like squirting you know, as much through that as possible until all the dirt and debris gets out and it evaporates or some people use brake cleaner. And I, I don't know the difference between, you know, shooting brake cleaner. I understand that, that, um, like the lighter fluid just evaporates. It's a liquid that flushes it and then evaporates faster than, than something else. Yeah. Um, is there a, is there a con to using a liquid that would evaporate versus the pressure that the air you know, I like the air because it it doesn't dry the metal surfaces out, whereas a solvent like that, you know, the CRC brake clean stuff or lighter fluid will will dry out the metal. And you, the, the only con I can think of in doing like a solvent based uh, thing is that it'll dry the metal out. You may have corrosion issues on a even a mil spec trigger with a mag phosphate finish. But yeah, I just use co- uh, compressed air because it does the same thing. You're you're just using that as as a mechanism to flush all the gunk and debris out. But in the field, you know, yeah, you, you could use a brake clean, you know, gun scrubber type product as well to flush the trigger out. You're doing the same thing. You just got to, you know, be wary of condensation or, or corrosion issues. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I, I never, I never really thought about that, but, um, yeah. So are there, are there any products that have less corrosion issues other than just blasting it with air? I would just think that air would have a harder time picking out like dirt and dust than flushing it out with a liquid or am I thinking about it wrong? No, you're right. You're right. I I think just inevitably, you know, same thing with washing your hands. You know, you're just kind of like washing the the stuff off of the surface because a liquid will carry that uh, dirt better than air just naturally. I I don't know if the liquids actually introduce a a corrosion issue. Like they they just dry the metal out is all and and kind of remove the oils from the metal. So you just got to be diligent in in making sure that no matter the the surface finish or the coating on your trigger, you just, you know, at some point got to re-oil it or or ensure that it it doesn't corrode. 
That's the only con I can think of. Even that, like, you know, oiling presents its own issues, and, and that's a very controversial subject because oil attracts and will hold dirt, and you can kind of get into an issue where, you know, a part is, is kind of gummy. My thing is that you're like, it's going to, you're going to have all this sand from, from the stages and it's going to collect in that, in that trigger pocket and a, and a can of air just seems to work good enough to, to hose it out. You don't have to have it like spick and span, but just, you know, hose out all the big chunks barely. If I had a round not go in, not get picked up by the bulk carrier group, I might suspect that it had something to do with the gas or the the spring weight, right? Not not oh, there's shit yeah. in my there's not stuff in my magazine. I, I might think like maybe there wasn't enough gas to push the bull carry group back far enough, or maybe my spring weight was wrong. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between um, bull carry groups and the mass there, and then the the spring weight and how that's how that affects the cycling of the gas gun? Yeah. So failures like that are kind of hard to diagnose because it, it could be a dirty chamber, it could be dirty ammunition or a, a magazine, and, and the, like the the failure will appear to be the same, you know, which will be a late mm-hmm. strike. But but it, you're right, it could be uh, an undergassed rifle or or a uh, uh, you know not enough um, buffer spring weight or or not enough buffering mass. Um, so that they're, they're kind of tough to uh, to tell. But in general, you know. It, I would say 80% of the issues that I see uh, in the field are cleanliness-based. However, um, the other 20% are a combination of insufficient or excess gas that, that creates, you know, that the carrier's got a window, like an operational window that it'll, it'll, it'll uh, work in. And if it gets too fast, it'll outrun the mag stack and, you know, your magazine won't push the new rounds up quick enough for the bolt carrier group to strip and feed that new round or the opposite side, it'll be too sluggish where it'll short stroke and won't um, reliably eject that spent round and won't strip and feed that new round. So, you know, he, he, there's a tuning process. We've got a, a video, I think, on the website uh, or rather on, on YouTube that best describes it. But you, you want to make sure that your your gas system on your rifle is tuned within that operational window. And, and there's a bunch of advice and it's kind of a polarizing topic on ejection patterns and what that means. But in general, um, you know, as long as your, your brass is ejecting out a ways and you know, that two to four o'clock position, it should function pretty well. Now for, for dusty and harsh environments, or if you're running a, a suppressor like me, because you're a gentleman and you care about your, uh, your teammates and whatnot, uh, there's, there are a few things that you want to do to uh, set up your rifle. And, you know, we already touched on the, the gas system and making sure that's within the operational window. By the way, if you run a suppressor, you'll need to retune your gas system. And you'll also need to think about the buffering mass, the amount of mass that, that tames, you know, that acts as a dead blow hammer effect to tame bolt bounce and reduce uh, the carrier velocity. Mm-hmm. Because with the suppressor, you get excess or a lot of... Uh, lot of gas pressure and gas volume which you know pushes the operating system back harder so the way to counter that is to uh, have more buffering mass and we've got a, a product called the silent captured spring that you can tune or adjust the amount of mass on the uh, the slider along with the spring weight itself 
So the, the three things that you can do to tune your rifle are adjust the gas system, adjust this, the spring weight and the uh, amount of mass, buffering mass in, in your system. Mm-hmm. So in, in a field match, and, and again with a suppressor, you just want to have more buffering mass and generally more spring pressure. Uh, so that it kind of chugs through the the gunk that comes with running a can, you know, the carbon fouling and whatnot, and the sand and debris uh, from a field match. I think that that's kind of the trick, right? Is finding the the right setting and also trying to figure out how how do you diagnose an issue as fast as you possibly can. And a lot of the issues look similar when they happen, right? Yep. Yeah, they do. It can be very difficult to diagnose and figure out, you know, what the actual root cause of these issues is. But, you know, as a good rule of thumb, on any rifle, if you have a heavy buffer or an H2 buffer and a stiff spring, they're pretty reliable. If you keep it, you know, well-maintained and pretty clean, uh, any good quality rifle will be pretty reliable in, in a harsh field match. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like, but... When when stuff happens, um, that that's that it usually gets traced back to something that was overlooked beforehand. So you you've got a adjustable gas block. Now you mm-hmm. guys uh, at JP, you guys um, do like a, a service rifle, right? Um, or or you build rifles for for people who work with their rifles. Are are you also yeah, putting in adjustable mm-hmm. gas blocks and and the same? the same considerations for those kind of rifles versus these field competition rifles? Yep. The the same considerations uh, apply to a duty rifle. Yeah. Where, where it's a a more of a full mass carrier Uh and a H2 or a full weight, you know, buffering system. So there's, there's a little more recoil than the more of a competition oriented, like a three gun rifle where you get a low mass or lightweight operating system, lightweight buffer. Um, Consequently, there's a lot less recoil there. But the flip side of that is they're, they're a little bit less tolerant of dirt and debris than, you know, the the type of rifle, the configuration of the rifle that you're thinking of, like a duty rifle. Good, yeah, so for my it. stuff, I always bias it towards the, the heavy side. You know, use a full mass buffer or what's what we call a variable mass buffer where there's actually a dynamic mass on the tailstock of the carrier. So it, it kind of doubles the Deblow hammer effect and just kind of helps to punch through the crud that comes with running largely suppressed, but it also helps with, you know, just field environments too. So you've got your primary approach is to deal with the mags, then you deal with the trigger, and then how about just getting the shit out of your upper receiver, and do you do anything with your bolt carrier group? Um, how are you How are you taking care of those? Yeah, so the as you get all you know your your operating system out and you're cleaning, hose out that chamber. Not rather not hose out, but rather uh, clean it out with a chamber brush. Um, you don't have to use a solvent or a liquid to scrape the carbon off. You know, you can kind of mechanically remove it with a chamber brush, and that seems to work pretty well with me. Uh, one thing you want to really be or pay attention to is the uh, that the chamber needs to be completely bone, bone dry. You know, as as the brass or the, the round expire um, fires, the brass will swell up, and it, it needs to stick to those chamber walls. Believe it or not, so you you don't want to have any liquid in there, especially not any oil. Otherwise, you you could get a false pressure sign, you know, primer flow or ejector smear, things like that. Uh, so it's got to be bone dry so that the brass can kind of stick to it, so to speak, to hold the the pressure in in the right places before it unlocks and whatnot. 
So I just run a chamber brush uh, quickly, and then on the upper receiver, the inside, um, you're going to get you know naturally carbon fouling and, and gunk and debris in there, and a rag will take all that out. So, um, and I don't use any lube on the interior of of the upper receiver. You know, I just kind of wipe it down and, and use as little. This is kind of controversial, and, and guys would. Um, may disagree, but I use as little lube as possible, believe it or not. The way our rifles are engineered and, and built, uh, the surface finish is very, very slick compared to a a, a mil-spec uh, Colt rifle. We'll have a, a kind of a rough finish, both on the interior of the upper receiver and the bolt carry group. So carbon fouling sticks to that and kind of makes a concrete sludge and you do need oil to flush that uh, out or, or prevent it to st- prevent it from sticking. But the surface finish on our rifles and my rifle is pretty slick. So the carbon just kind of glides off of it and doesn't stick very well. So that it uh, really aids with reliability. I think that's actually kind of a under appreciated thing in, in the industry is, you know, the higher quality gas guns will have a better surface finish on the BCGs and the, interior of the upper receiver which allows or prevents carbon from sticking to it and debris as well that's awesome but get yeah get back to lube you know i I use just a a drop of lube on the raceways of the carrier and a drop of lube in the cam pin area and then i I stick it in the gun and run it the more lube you have i think the more you know uh, opportunity you've got for that carbon to stick to it or or Mm -hmm. bind to that and kind of make a slurry same thing with dust and, and moon dust and debris and crap. It kind of gets in there, attracts and binds to the oil, and then kind of makes a sludge or a grease, which really slows down the bolt carry group as it does its thing. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any issues between like guys who, who try to hand load versus run factory ammo? Like recently, I've just been shooting factory, uh, and I and I haven't developed a load for a gas gun in a long time. But but is there an issue in terms of how they cycle or run in those considerations? Yeah, you know, just kind of asking the question broadly, yeah. I mean, uh, hand loads can be better performing, you know, from an accuracy and consistency standpoint, but there's there's so many you know, opportunities for failure where, where you get uh, a mist-sized piece of brass that'll just kind of stick in your chamber and, and fail to extract or a an overcharge round or an overpressure round. Uh, in general, I shoot factory for the exact same reason. Like it's super consistent, um, especially with the stuff coming out of like Federal and Hornady and Prime, and, and like all these ammunition manufacturers make incredibly precise ammunition that that serves my purpose for precision matches really well. It's as accurate as any handload that I can produce by and large, and I just don't see any uh, any failures or issues, or fewer failures or issues with factory ammunition compared to handloaded ammunition. The resizing, you know, the the brass obviously uh, swells up when you when you fire it. And if you know, one recommendation is to use a small base die, regardless of the caliber. If you're running a semi-auto firearm, a small base die will bring the the base of that brass back into spec, and it'll chamber and feed, and be much more reliable than a typical full-length uh, resizing process. I am curious about uh, pressure signs in a gas gun versus a bolt gun because. Um you know, with a bolt gun, everything's locked in there. So pressure is pretty easy, but with pressure and a gas gun, uh, you know, you've, a lot of the pressure is diverted back into the system. And so 
how are how are those signs read and interpreted different? Um, I don't know if they're interpreted any any differently. You know, the ejector smear uh, and the ejector, you know, kind of flow and, and primer flow and cratering, uh, those are universal on, on bolt guns versus gas guns. The, the gas gun will uh, have uh, extractor, you know, swipe, like where, where the where the extractor, you know, as the bolt rotates over, it'll grab the case and kind of uh, smear or swipe on the ex- extractor and the ejector side. So you'll, I guess you'll see that on a gas gun, whereas you maybe won't see that as much on a bolt gun. But in general, a gas gun's a lot less tolerant of overpressure rounds compared to a bolt action where, like, you, the shooter, are are manually unlocking that, um, you know, feeding a new round. And whereas a gas gun, you, you know, the, the the process is a lot more condensed. You know, immediately after the bullet exits the barrel, the unlocking process starts. Um, and, and because of that, you know, you've got to have a round that's within the, the you know, the SAMI spec pressure or even the you know the 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 pressure that the rifle um, will want to have you know it's just it's not going to be as tolerant of those like super speedy uh, six millimeter you know hot rod ammunition it's probably going to give you issues on a gas gun just because the the cycling process is so condensed and it's so you know it's immediately after the bullet leaves the barrel where you know the the brass may still be swelled up and sticking to the chamber walls. Or the the barrel hasn't fully depressurized, but yet the unlocking sequence will will start to initiate. And and there's some tricks that you know gunmakers will will use to extend the gas port um, out a little bit. We do that, and, and a few other uh, manufacturers will do that as well, just to kind of uh, widen the operational window with with some of those hot rod, you know, six five Creedmoor six six Creedmoor primarily rounds. And then um, we, we do one other thing with our firing pin channel. We've got a high pressure bolt on our 308 sized, um, you know, 308 high pressure bolt that has a smaller firing pin and a firing pin channel to prevent um, a largely cratered or, you know, primer flow uh, that'll create issues in some gas guns. But yeah, it, to answer your question broadly, a gas gun won't be as tolerant of higher pressure rounds like a bolt gun will. I mean, it's just so curious, you know, and and then not something that I've explored uh, too much. How much does coating and the inside of the system affect accumulation of dirt and debris and oil and shit like that? I think it affects it a lot. Like it's just, it's for whatever reason, nobody really talks about it, but yeah, in, in general, and I kind of touched on this earlier, like a mill spec, if you take a, a mill spec bolt carrier group, you're going to notice like a couple things. The the surface finish primarily is is pretty porous, you know, and that the porosity will allow carbon to deposit and accumulate, and that carbon's going to drag on sides of the um, the upper receiver wall. Whereas in contrast, like we we've got a um, a surface finish. This is before coating. That's very, very smooth and slick. It's almost like a mirror. And then we, we apply or, or do a metal treatment, uh, uh, nitriting, or we call it QPQ or quench polish quench, where it's a, um, it's a black surface treatment that hardens the metal, but it, but it keeps that smooth, uh, finish on both, you know, the, the raceways or the bearing surface along with the, um, just the, the entire part. So the, the carbon just doesn't accumulate. It kind of glides off the sand and debris glide off of it as well. And the same thing on the interior of the, of the upper receiver, like it's super smooth. We we've got a very, very tight 
surface finish spec. And I think that really is kind of an undersung uh, benefit to reliability. You know, just nothing can really accumulate like it would be in most other more budget rifles where it's a, it's kind of a very porous uh, rough surface. If you drag your nail across it, you can oftentimes kind of feel and hear that difference uh, where, you know, like if you pull a, a JP bolt carrier group out, it's, it's super smooth and hard. Yeah, there's a huge difference there in surface finish. Same thing on the on the buffer tubes also, as an aside. Um, we've got a, a buffer tube, and I don't, I don't want to tout our products at all, but like the the interior of the buffer tube, uh, the surface finish plays a big part in the sound. As you charge the rifle manually, the sound will will be much different with uh, with our tubes uh, or any other you know very high quality buffer tube. Is the interior surface finishes that plays a big part in that. That's interesting, just because the porosity, you would think, yeah, it makes sense, right? It's just going to yeah. hang on to more more junk, just like a, uh, you know, any any anything would to, to collect. And then once that collection starts, it probably increases exponentially. Exactly, exactly. Now the the flip side of this, it won't hold as much oil, which which is good or bad depending on how you look at it. Like. Uh, you really shouldn't need a whole lot of oil on, on some of these higher quality parts with like the DLC or the fancy uh, coatings like that. Um, you shouldn't need a whole lot of oil because the, the surface metal treatment itself is going to be the corrosion inhibitor. But like a mil spec uh, bolt carrier group will hold a lot of oil. Like the, the, the pores in the metal uh, are, are very you know, open and they'll, they'll just uh, you know hold a lot of oil. Man. Yeah. I mean, once you say it, it seems really obvious, but um it doesn't. And then that, that probably goes a long way in terms of like the spectrum of AR part builders, you know, making stuff that has certain specs and tolerances that is overlooked, but that has an ultimate effect on how something's going to run in the field over time. Potentially. It does. It's got a big effect. Yeah. And it's hard to do like to, to make a, a part, any machine part with a uh, very smooth surface finish is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And and if you can do it, you know, there's, I think there's a huge benefit to it. Uh, it just attracts less gunk and debris and, and holds less oil. But my personal opinion on this is like, you know, the more oil you have is, is the more, you know, the more opportunity you have for accumulation of dirt, you know, sand and dust. But if you were going to take a gun in the field at a match or for work or for whatever, um, what kind of spare parts would you take with you? You know, uh, my approach to this is, is, you know, I guess to support other shooters. So all, unless it's like a, a match where I'm running and gunning and every ounce matters, then I'll only take a set of uh, bolt carrier pins. Uh, so cam pin, firing pin, and retainer pin, just because they weigh almost nothing, probably less than an ounce um, altogether. But in any other, any other match where uh, I'm not doing a whole bunch of rucking and running, I'll take a whole bolt carrier group, maybe even like a uh, sec, you know, a second either large frame or small frame bolt carrier group just to help out other shooters because that man stuff goes down and I want to be the guy that has that spare part like ready to go to to support a, a buddy or uh, somebody that just you know, didn't think to have spare parts because stuff goes down and, and sometimes you can solve those issues with a full uh, bolt carrier group swap 
doesn't make financial sense for most people to do that, but that's sort of what I do. But at a minimum, I would say, um, only because I, you know, there's small parts and I lose them, but the firing pin, cam pin, retainer pin, bring an extra one of those. I'll, I'll also bring uh, just a collection of other parts to, su- to support shooters that have uh, JP internals because it seems like it, you know somebody's losing something or breaking something or you know, there's always, you know, a mechanical object's going to you know, inevitably have an issue. Uh, but yeah, personally, I don't bring a lot of parts just... Because, you know, if you keep it clean, it tends to run pretty well. And, you know, if you buy high-quality parts, regardless of the brand or type of part, you're probably going to have a lot less failures. And I'm, I've kind of got the buy once, cry once uh, sort of mentality when it comes to anything equipment-related. Um, well, most of the stuff I bring is spares or batteries. <laughs> batteries for my, you know, the laser range finders um, or anything else, you know, uh, red dots or things like that. I'm I'm just fascinated by um like what do you carry and how do you keep stuff going? And and so I've I've kind of gone the other way to like carrying tons of stuff because the last match I was having like two pull carry groups and then um you know now I want to get like gas rings and I just don't know how to handle and that's why I guess that's why you're here, right? Is to is to yeah. be able to troubleshoot and set things up so that they work in a way where you really are expecting for it to not have a failure but if it does having the spare parts that you need quickly um is it is important you mentioned yeah i guess a bolt wouldn't be the worst idea because it's economical and importantly doesn't take up a lot of space or weight so if you threw that in your your chest rigger pack or pocket or something like that you really there's no downside to doing that because it's going to come with extractors and gas rings and all that like there's um there's not a lot of downside to to doing that. You know, the the failure rate on a on our bolts is is so uncommon that I just I guess I don't think of doing that unless I've got the room or I'm taking a pack. You know, and, and I'll I'll grab a whole bolt carry group and SCS just just because. So I guess you got to balance. You know, what what kind of event is it? Is it a event where weight matters? If if it does, then I'd, I'd really slim back on what I brought. But if, if Team Safari or in a hunter match where you're not timed between stages, yeah, there's no downside to bringing a, a complete bolt gear. I don't. I mean, I literally, I, I, I literally don't know. I mean, the the time that I had to swap it out, it, I had gotten too much lube in there, thinking it was something else, and so I lubed it, and then it collected dust and created the sludge, and I was like, shit, you know, getting it running faster. It was faster to swap the whole carrier group than it was to clean it off. <laughs> yep. So, but but that was my fault because I overlooped it, thinking it was something else, and so that that kind of balance between um, keeping things running and troubleshooting in the field, you know, having stuff available was helpful. But but that kind of tree, the decision making tree of how do you solve this issue to keep it running first and foremost, and then slowly figuring out what the issue is is, is a complicated complicated scenario um and for sure uh you know it takes time so we talked about uh you know failure to load rounds could be coming from the magazine itself first and then uh the buffer tube and the cleanliness of the psych or the or the gas system right and then other failures that you might see because of dirt and debris of the trigger but that um is 
that separate because you would know if it was a trigger issue versus an issue cycling, right? Most likely. Any other failure points or field maintenance tricks that you run or have you, you've seen people do that you thought were clever and, and easy for a listener to be like, okay, I'm going to just kind of keep this on the radar. Yeah, well, one of the things that bit me a couple years ago uh, was we had a stuck bullet. My partner had a stuck bullet in his carbine, and you know he shot the last target, went to unload and showed clear, and you know uh, extracted the the piece of brass and then dumped powder everywhere. You know, of course, because the the bullet stuck in the chamber, and we didn't have anything available to us, and, and we kind of noticed this issue, like the the ammo was loaded a little bit long, and the bullets he was noticing that uh, kind of pulled out just a little bit from the case. So we went to the hardware store. This is it, you know, uh, in the, kind of in the middle of the nowhere. There wasn't a whole lot of resources available because uh, ideally we would have had one of those uh, three-piece cleaning rods and, and stuck it in the pack. But we got a quarter-inch dowel, like a wooden dowel rod, and ended up trying to pound the stuck bullet out with that. And it was a colossal disaster. It took, you know, it actually stuck in the barrel to this day and weren't able to to resolve that kind of a long story but a trick i learned from that uh from my buddy sean at night force was to bring uh, a portion or the uh, one of the sections of that the three-piece cleaning rods and the heavier the better like the bl- the brass cleaning rods seem to work better because there's more mass but just keep a section in your chest pack so that you can pound out or rather drop that um, cleaning rod through your through your barrel and knock out the stuck bullet if you do have a stuck bullet or maybe even stuck case i guess you could kind of use it for that if, if you kind of tap it a few times but a lot of the issues that i see are, are ammunition related or just cleanliness uh, so the, the moral of the story is kind of keep your stuff clean you know and pay attention to mags and, and triggers first um and i like factory ammunition you know it comes fully loaded in a, in a box you know it couldn't be easier uh, that it will cure I would imagine a lot of the issues that I'm seeing on the field. Okay. And then finally, just the trigger stuff. Um, if a trigger goes out or it doesn't shoot, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you carry a backup trigger with you to, to swap the trigger out or do you go into that kind of flushing it, washing it, blowing air out in the field to see if you can get it back running? Yeah, it just depends. You know, if it's a broken part, uh, you, you have to, replace it in, in some way, shape or form. Usually it's not something that you can do on a stage. Um, you know, I hear guys carrying spare bolt gun triggers. I, I carry a spare, spare uh, bolt gun trigger for the exact same reason. Like I think it's a very viable uh, thing to do. It's very difficult to switch out in, in the middle of a competition though. It's kind of something you got to do on your truck tailgate at the conclusion of a day. Um, I just don't think you can do it even with the new drop in cassette type triggers, you know, where it's just two pins and you kind of swap it out. I still don't think it's re- you know realistic to do on a stage or in the middle of a match. So th- there's no downside in, uh, in bringing along a spare trigger, especially one of these drop-in triggers or where it's a module. You know, just it's super simple to to swap out if you do have an issue. Um, but it, it you know I guess cleaning it out would be step number one. But if you notice something broken, you know the only thing you can do is uh, swap it out. These are all yeah, the things that like we invest, well, we invest all our time, emotion, money, and we're trying to have fun, you know, with our friends and perform well. And then when stuff goes wrong, you know, having those, those fail safe kind of procedures that you can keep yourself running. Cause there's nothing worse than seeing a guy kind of with their head down, 
Uh, and you see it in a lot of matches where something yeah. went wrong with their system. Like, yep. Being able to separate that from, um, I don't know, like it really does uh, yeah. kind of turn something that you went to go have fun to not being fun. And so having this playbook is really important and things to look at and mm-hmm. be able to maintain and, and, and stay in the game, you know, and if it wasn't as much of an investment, maybe it wouldn't be as big of a deal, but oftentimes people are spending a lot of money to go to these events, uh, you know, sometimes more than their rifles um, are worth, you know, yeah. uh, or, or <laughs> so um, to have a part fail and then people go, yeah, yeah, sucks for you. <laughs> versus let's talk about it you know let's talk about what can go wrong in the open and and let's let's try to make these better procedures and and um, quicker fixes people just don't like talking about those issues publicly either because they feel like it's going to make uh you know manufacturer or product look bad mm-hmm. which which isn't what what i'm trying to do what i'm trying to do mm-hmm. is just say like you know these are there are some issues that are avoidable there are some issues that are solvable and and a lot of people just don't realize what they might be walking into until it's too late. And then a lot of people just say, oh, well, it sucks for you. And then leave you there kind of empty handed to figure yeah. it out for yourself. But you don't often yeah. hear about like, okay, well, how do we fix things when they go wrong? And what, what's likely to go wrong? And what are some of the troubleshooting? And that goes to, to extremely complicated. But I think this at least goes through some of the issues of like, keep it clean. Uh, we, you kind of skirted a lot of the, well, I don't clean anything versus I overclean, you know, so on and so forth. And I think you addressed the, I, I definitely like running things dry and I've kind of gone back to the dry. I realized that the serious error I made with lubing stuff in the dirt when it created sludge. But, but I think the, yeah. the idea of um, creating issues in the environment that you're going to be working in, it would be cool to talk about, um, high humidity environments and environments, you know, with, with, with a lot of moisture <clears throat> because we have all these metal parts, but that's probably going to be another, uh, talk, but yeah, if I, if Same I thing kind with of colder, ooh. you know, colder environments. Oh, that's a good point. I like cold environments and I shoot a ton in the snow. Um, and I have noticed some things kind of pop out in those environments, yeah. but, um, but I think that, uh, you know, if I just kind of recap the the primary things is, is actually a lot of what I would have initially assumed were different systems can be traced back to dirty magazines. And so that, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't usually flush out the triggers, but a lot of times I'm using those cassette triggers and then washing them out. They're not open, right? They're sealed. Like if a trigger tech diamond, something like that, like you can't really, yep. can't really rinse those. On the other hand, other, other, other triggers, you can flush out with and and that's helpful um and then making sure that your buffer and your gas system are tuned appropriately uh, and maybe you highlighted the importance of having a tunable gas block over uh one that isn't tuned even though i think that there's a potential for people to screw up how they tune it so maybe, maybe like one last thing, like even though this doesn't relate to shooting in the dirt or the field, but yeah. what are you what when when you're tuning your gas block, uh, you know, to be appropriately tuned? What what are you actually looking for? Um, so you, basically, you you um, 
turn the metering screw down so that it did it short strokes and you load one one round in a magazine at a time. And what you're looking to do is just sort of turn that screw out or allow more gas to get back to the action. Uh, you know, in our case with a JP gas block, it's one click at a time until it just locks back on an empty magazine. And then it's considered, you know, within that operational window, you can go a step further, like on uh, if it's a, a suppressed rifle or you know, you know, you know, it's going to be in an environment where uh, you're going to be, you know, running it pretty dirty. You can even go a click um, more, so more open, and then it'll be on the, you know, more overgassed side of things just to have a wider operational window. But that's that's the gas block tuning procedure. It's pretty easy to do, you know, just one round at a time, and you know, one click at a time until it just locks back in an empty magazine, and then maybe one more click if uh, if you want to set it up for like a duty application, that kind of thing. Gotcha. So it's right. Now I, I, I do do that, but I ask that just uh, so that listeners who who didn't know that, but but I think that that it is pretty straightforward and it's pretty easy to do. You just close the bolt. I mean, you close the gas and then open it up till it locks back on one yeah. one round, and that I think that's the trick is you have to load one round and it shoots. You got it, and then and then and 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 so um, that's pretty much for the, any gas block, you know, not not just ours. When you're tuning, when you when you're screwing with your buffer weight, is there another? Is there a different procedure? For, for what you're looking for? Well, you, you always start with the gas block, you know, tune your gas block first. And then what you're doing with the buffering system is, is you're, you're going by feel, like it'll change the, the character of the recoil impulse um, and just sort of the feel of, of the rifle as it recoils. Uh, you you want to start with, you know, whatever, whatever you want your buffer system to, to be, in my case, and in most cases uh, nowadays, it's probably an H2 style buffer weight. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd, you'd then set that up and then uh, retune your gas block as needed. That's awesome. Yeah, some guys, Sweet. you know, they they will analyze the ejection pattern as as an indicator of of what the carrier velocity is. Um, but yeah, I think anything in that like two to four o'clock range, as long as it's it's kicking out, you know, not not re- rather not dribbling out of the side of the rifle, uh, you'll be well within that operational window and and have a pretty reliable rifle. Excellent. Excellent. The only other thing that I, that I noticed um, that was pointed out and it had to do with the gas rings or something like that, but, but with the bolt and the gas rings on the bolt, yeah, the, the bolt carrier yep. group, the friction, a lot of people said like, you know, should be able to hold it up, but then not, but then, then it was pointed out that, that, that your guys bolt and gas rings don't hold up the weight of, can you, you talk a little bit about, that in terms of like uh you know when when people are looking at one thing or another um yeah i kind of, would, kind of glance over there didn't i yeah so we, we we really go to the extreme with a lot of our parts and components and just try to exploit every little um bit of performance and reliability out of the system but you know sort of the the old um test of determining your gas rank uh, gas ring whether it's good or bad, is to put the uh, carrier, you know, bolt down and, and make sure that it'll support the weight of the carrier. 
That is to say, you know, if the if the bolt goes into the carrier, that will point to a failure of like the typical three-piece gas rings, a single piece. I'm sorry, the the, the, the three-piece gas rings. It'll point to a failure. Whereas ours, you know, it's a custom ground single piece gas ring that's held to a really tight tolerance. So then we can engineer it in such a way where, where there's minimal friction. And because there's minimal friction, it won't support the weight of a carrier. doesn't mean the gas seal is bad or the gas ring is bad. It just means that, you know, you, you can't use that as a means to determine whether the uh, the gas ring is bad or, uh, uh, or not. You know, we, like I said, we, we engineer it for just a better, tighter gas seal and and just you know frictionless so that it will be more reliable doesn't doesn't have to um have that that binding like a three piece gas ring will yeah that was just one of those things that if you looked for specific things and you didn't kind of explore other options you'd assume that it was not right but it is until somebody pointed yeah. it out and so i think those things are good to know about in here because you hear one thing and you think, okay, well, that's what I want to look for. But then it's like, oh, it turns out that's not always the case. And and mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, then people get in arguments and all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think this was good and thorough. And I, I have more questions, but that's going to extend us beyond the time that we can, we can chat. So let's cut it off and schedule another talk. Uh, with another set of questions and answers and solutions. But I think this was really good. I think we covered a lot of stuff. Um, I love it.